Welcome to the Dietitian Boss Podcast. I'm Libby Rothschild, creator of Dietitian Boss. After almost four years of sitting in my dimly lit windowless clinical office, I had enough. I wanted to feel like my work mattered, so I did something about it. I created a program that empowers dietitians and nutritionists to create their own private practice from scratch following my proprietary system. Before I did this, I had a private practice of my own while working a full-time job, and I learned a lot about building relationships, marketing, and sales, and I'm so excited to be able to share my proprietary framework with you. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Drew Helmer, an award-winning internationally accredited registered dietitian providing communications and education consulting services for individual, nonprofit, and corporate clientele through Ontario, Canada, and the U.S. for more than seven years. Drew serves as faculty member for Buffalo State University's Undergraduate Dietetics and Graduate Multidisciplinary Studies program, helping build students and practitioner know why and know how in scope, standards, and ethics in dietetic practice. He served as a board member, consultant, and volunteer for state and national dietetic organizations for more than 10 years now, including the Commissions on Dietetic Registration, the Academy's Committee for Lifelong Learning, the Electronic Nutrition Care Process Terminology Platform, the College of Dietitians of Ontario, Dietitians of Canada, and the New York State Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. He celebrates dietitians in all areas of practice and is a proud, active fellow of the Academy and the State University of New York Center for Teaching Excellence. Welcome to today's episode, Drew. Libby, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited, and I just want to give a little background that I had the chance of meeting you in person, which was so fun at the, I think it was the the New York State, do you remember which conference it was? I was speaking about nutrition and social media, and I, I, I know it was a New York State one, I, I believe. It was. I remember it being close to where I was residing at the moment, when I was going to school at Buffalo State, and it was at some conference center in Niagara Falls. Yeah. And I couldn't, I was so excited to meet you because I so heard sweet. about you speaking that year, and I knew I had to find you at the event and say hello. Well, that's very, very kind, and I remember meeting you and uh, learning that you had a background in teaching and education, and I just wanted to be your friend. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> and one of the, the best parts of the story and our connection is that we had connected on LinkedIn, and because you post actively and, and you post great stuff, we had somehow reconnected recently and started talking about all things dietetics. And I ended up being lucky enough to get you on air. So just goes to show the power of social media and connecting with your, your peers. And uh, I, we're going to talk about that today, but it's a, it's a fun story of how powerful it can be to use social media for learning advocacy and all things dietetics. Cause I think I had initially asked you some stuff about fancy and applications for, for me to speak in the future. So Thank you for being a role model in dietetics. Yeah, absolutely. I would say never underestimate the power that social media provides for networking and what that could lead to in life. Really. Yeah, and we're, we're going to be talking more about that. And I love that you <laughs> use LinkedIn. That's not one of my power platforms. It's something, it's a platform I'm interested in using more, but it has not been one of my top platforms. So we're going to talk all about that as we continue today. But I, I first want to ask a little bit for today's uh, topic. Can you share what, how did you get into social media and ethics in the first yeah. place? Great question. I was planning to lead into that anyways, because I think background is always important. Like what, how, what brought you to this interesting, very relevant, pertinent topic to, that we're going to discuss today. And that was where it all started was simultaneously, actually a funny story. I was somewhat forced into volunteering for my state affiliate association, the New York State Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, while I was a student. And that's a whole different story, how I got, quote unquote, forced into it, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me. But I started off as communications editor for the New York State Academy. I have a communications and marketing background. One of my adjunct professors noticed that, talked to me a little bit after class and said, hey, are you interested? They ended up announcing it at a meeting and I did not agree, but it was an amazing, it was an amazing thing that had happened. So as I was working as communications editor for the, for NISAN, for the New York State Academy, I was working alongside the public relations coordinator at that time and with the social media manager at that time as well to 
come up with some marketing strategy to engage our members and the general public. We had two very separate, distinct audiences mm-hmm. that we were trying to work with in the same platforms. I knew there was an issue there to begin with, so to help guide them along that way. And then eventually I became social media manager for the organization itself, and that's where I really got to deploy some marketing strategies some social campaign strategy there. Simultaneously, I was teaching for a couple of years at SUNY Buffalo State, my alma mater, and I introduced students to the dietetics profession, which is a blessing. Every time I teach that section, I, I'm so thankful that I get to get all these aha moments from students like, this is actually a fail. I could do this in the dietetics profession. Yeah, you could do anything you want, especially nowadays. And in speaking with and hearing the stories about some of those students, you know, what are their plans? What's their career pathway? I would deploy this assignment of, you know, what's your what's your end game? What's your goal as a dietitian and how can we help prepare you to get there? A lot of them included social media to promote their products and services. And I wanted them to provide a little bit more about what they plan to do within social media. What are the messages that they're gonna promote? And there were some, you know, considering that they were lower level class students, there was some you know, some maybe some inaccurate information at the time. They haven't gone through the ropes of training and credible information and learning about medical nutrition therapy and research implications. So I heard some problematic messaging in there. And then simultaneously as social media manager, my eyes, I was a fly on the wall looking at what every state association was doing, what our national organizations were doing, even what dietitians in all areas of practice, allied healthcare practitioners in private practice and related associations were doing super creative approaches, but I saw problems. I saw real issues that could potentially impact the public's health. And I thought, okay, let me look for resources to guide me, like continuing education about how do we approach social media in a proficient, competent, ethical manner? And guess what? I couldn't find any. I searched up and down. I might've found like a food food and nutrition, you know, the Academy's magazine that they put out monthly or bi-monthly. I found a small article there, but it didn't really bring it to life. It wasn't complete. I still had questions. And then in 2017, I eventually found a practice paper called that included these standards of professionalism that I now use to help bring these concerns and help guide other, even just in general health, anybody who's a health educator, help guide them to lead their social media activity competently and through a lens of ethical practice. And that led me to, I think, speaking for NYSAN about this very important topic. Somebody attended the conference from another state and they wanted me to speak at that state conference. And then as of today, I've probably spoken at 25 state dietetic associations and other now health educator conferences. Yeah, it's incredible. That's incredible. And it just goes to show, well, when we talk about other health care practitioners, that, that's a, maybe a different podcast for a different day because I know we're just talking about dietetics and social media ethics, but I think it's great in general to have this conversation and know that other healthcare practitioners are upholding to standards as well. So thank you for sharing that. Very impressive. And it's great work that you're doing on a state level to, to educate and inspire with ethics and social media, do you think it's something that dietitians are aware of at this point? Because if you went and you're the resource, I know you are the resource, like you've branded yourself. I know that you are the person, but how do you think general perception is in terms of dietitians and and knowing how important ethics are with social media? I think dietitians know about the code of ethics, right? We learned about it in undergrad. We know that we have to abide by it when we're a student in an send accredited program we know that we accept the code of ethics and have to lead with it when we become credentialed by the commission of dietetic registration but i i in my experience i've spoken again at like half the states now one-on-one conversations like with you and you know people just in passing at other events and having casual conversation but the majority of dietitians don't know how to apply ethics to social media None of them know about that practice paper, which is why I highlight it in a lot of my talks and workshops. And even if they refer to the code of ethics, you know, sometimes there's these there are gray areas and dilemmas in applying it in context of social media, considering what I would argue that the, you know, the term professionalism has to be agile as society evolves. So. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Now, to be honest, I don't remember if I've read that paper, so I'm going to do that. I'm just being transparent. I'm going to read that paper as soon as possible and look at 
attach it to the show notes, uh, link it for reference and uh, educate my audience as well, including my, my clients, because it's a big part of communication. And as communication evolves, this is mandatory, I would say, for dietitians to know about, right? So there's the code of ethics in general, but then there's that, uh, I don't know if it's a clause or just the overall understanding that w- if and when you're educating on the internet, on social media, these are standards. And I think that's an, hopefully something that is important and people are referencing that paper like you said i don't know if you can enforce that but i think it's a great thing that you're representing it yeah enforcement is a whole nother monster in and of itself you know you can't how do you enforce and regulate over a hundred thousand dietetic practitioners but something that's exciting i'm an internationally accredited dietitian so i am a dietitian also in ontario canada and what's exciting in ontario what we're seeing and i hope spreads and maybe the academy inevitably this happens too because usually in living in canada i notice it happens in the states first and canada follows and i think what's happening is the reverse that we're developing a specific practice guidelines for ontario dietitians it's so regarding social media practice. yeah that's exciting and uh, it's it's exciting that you are the source of information for that so before we go any further and talk more about the importance of ethics, and I'm interested in some of the, the themes that come up with your speaking since you've done so many talks, can you give us an overview of like what they are or the top considerations that a listener would need to know of, being that my listeners are usually on, mostly on social or aspiring to be, use social media? Yeah, I use, again, going back to that practice paper, there are eight standards of professionalism that they list, and I think it's pretty complete. Okay. Um, and some of them, for example, just a brief overview, which I kind of clump some of them together and say, you know, in an all-encompassing manner, let everyone know what they, what, who they are and any legal or conflict of interest included. So regarding to the formal title of standards of professionalism, one would be self-identification. Another one would be transparency and disclosure. So I kind of always group those together because they talk about, you know, inevitably being transparent. There's another one called professional boundaries. So Mm -hmm. if you can imagine what you post and how it might impact biases towards you and public perception of the dietitian towards the general public. Another one would be intellectual property. So important. I can't wait to talk about that with you. (laughs) Content credibility, another really important topic. Personal conduct. And within that, there's some suggestion of addressing misinformation when we find it because it's all too rampant on social media. And then there's two I find just as important, but I didn't include them in the top five, was privacy and confidentiality as well as professional liability. So there's eight main themes. Thank you so much for for breaking those down. I have a quick question and I want to make sure I ask because a client asked me last week, and I don't know if you know where this fits in. When I don't know if you're familiar with it's like stitches. So somebody is showing a video from someone else and perhaps putting them down or making fun of an individual, not lifting them up, but actually ostracizing another practitioner, whether it be dietitian or therapist, where does that fit in with ethics? And uh, what are your, what are your thoughts? I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure how to handle that as a coach because I tell, I really like people to be fair, but that's, it's hurtful for me to see that. I, I'm so glad that you brought this up, Libby, because I recently, you know, as I present on this topic at conferences, you know, I only present on for like five or six conferences a year. And then I go to the next year and I update, I listen to what dietitians have to say, some of their main concerns, what's been evolving in this area. And then I update the content accordingly. And something that I recently implemented was reaction videos and how it speaks to personal misconduct. So you're saying, you know, they're kind of ostracizing this individual, they're speaking to their character. And from what I look at this through a lens of, okay, the ethical code, what guiding principle and what standards does this speak to? And that's slander and defamation of character, which is a breach of the code of ethics. And I always tell, because I like to provide practical advice, like, okay, this is what's wrong, but what can we do that's right about this? And regarding that, I don't know if you want, if you want to talk about this whole topic about personal yeah. conduct. Now. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> As it relates to reaction videos, slander, defamation of character, and specifically reaction videos, which are super popular, right? Sure. Dietitians, we see what other influencers are doing. All eyes are on them. It's, it really increases engagement and viewership and then potentially 
conversion to clients, right? So it's it's a, a good thought to say, hey, let's do what other people are doing because it's working and it's an effective at marketing. To that I say, great, do the reaction videos, but rather than speak to somebody's character and you know who they are personally, speak to things more objective. Rather, what is their expertise? Do they have educational training? And then, and then pull out the, the misinformation and inaccuracies and develop separate content from that, bing, 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 to increase SEO, like using keywords and headings in the text rather than coming after their character. There's a million other things that we can do, right? It's just like when we have casual conversations with each other, if I have a strong opinion about somebody, I could say a million other things. And in saying a million other things, I could be helping myself rather than potentially deteriorating the RD's reputation among the general public is think about the impact that might have among the general public, depending on the words of use. I think the general public sees it. Of course, they're probably like, oh yeah, that's right. But even I look at it through a lens of like, is this dietitian approachable? Like, and we want them to be able to come to us for nutrition guidance. So I think about what image that gives dietitians. Yeah, that was helpful in terms of breaking down coming from an objective point of view and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, well it's part of part of the ethics but putting down someone's character no matter who who they are like registered I'm talking registered dietitians talking about other registered dietitians it's it's really hard for me to see because I want people to respect other people's perspectives but uh, you gave a perfect example in terms of the objectivity uh, and how you can do it in a way that fits yeah So like I was saying, you know, do the reaction video, but, you know, leave that video up of the individual for just a couple seconds to pull out whatever that in for whatever that inaccuracy is, and then get rid of the video about them and then talk, continue the video about, Hey, let's address this topic, whatever, lemon juice and detox, whatever it is, increase SEO by using those keywords and then give people that evidence-based information, which is the value that we really provide. The, the other side of that, and you're, you are very practical, and I appreciate that, very helpful tip, it, from my perspective in trying to be accessible and helping more dietitians use social media is that it increases fear to see that there are these types of videos that make people, dietitians, feel like they're scared of becoming popular because they'll be put down, and what if their opinion is not the same as somebody else's? So I'm not, I don't know how to best address that other than it's it's just it's tough it's tough to be able to function knowing that that type of behavior is happening and it's it's part of how people do communicate but it's it's hurtful for people who are feeling shy and timid about showing up especially if they're shy to show their face and then they're seeing these stitches and they're like oh my gosh like what if that happens to me yeah i think it you know stepping away from the topic of ethics i think it speaks to and sometimes what celebrities can really say and i see in some of those master classes from celebrities and in conversations with that we even have here in in toronto that i attend because you know celebrities or not they provide a ton of valuable information based on that kind of experience you are never going to please 100 percent of people never ever will you ever and you know i hear a little bit about and having the stories with dietitians about that those same fears speaks to a little bit about like imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. a little bit yep and the only thing that i found that helps resolve, can't say resolve, but help minimize those feelings is having a good support structure Absolutely. around you, Absolutely. family, friends, colleagues. Yeah. I, great practical advice. I agree. It's just that it, it can feel more uncomfortable because social media is already pretty scary. I, I talk about the social monster, media. Yeah. yeah. I come in and do presentations for students and talk about social and I try to identify what the common themes are like you do from presentation to presentation and it is mostly fear so my role is trying to make social media accessible and talking about ethics and and being practical is helpful but yes fear is definitely a piece of it and you know i believe that you can't please everybody but when you're starting out and you really want to build your audience or build your community and represent nutrition and your beliefs, it, it can be challenging for those that are yeah. getting started. And so I, I can appreciate that and where they're, where they're coming from. Yeah. Also in context of this conversation, you know, people <clears throat> approaching you on social media and trolling, for example, I 
you know, along the years, I've given this some consideration and I've talked to some dietitians and I've consulted with some dietitians about what their strategy is regarding how do they demonstrate their value on social media. Yeah. And sometimes it might, sometimes what they want to demonstrate is that they can have constructive conversations during times of conflict. And there's always going to be trolls that come after you, especially the higher amount of viewers that you have totally. in following. And some people, you know, you have this decision, you either approach it or you just, you know, ignore them and block or and or block them. Or maybe you respond to them. And that's a way to demonstrate your professionalism, to provide more evidence based information so that your viewers can see that value that you provide. Yeah, really great tips. And it does uh, all go back to identifying your imposter syndrome and uh, finding community and people and then developing a process, something repeatable. Like you mentioned, you can respond back with evidence-based answers. You can choose to ignore, like there are options that you can employ. And it's, this is an important conversation because we see this on social media and some of us are already involved in these situations. So it's really important to discuss. So I'm really happy to have you on and giving these specific examples uh, with all of your knowledge. So I'm I'm really grateful. I feel like this is a long overdue episode. Well, thank you. And what I said earlier about the work that we're doing at the College of Dietitians of Ontario and developing developing the specific practice guidelines, we're including a section that talks about this, about this fear about being scrutinized, how to deal with it, well, what do we do with trolling, things like that. Great. So I'll tell uh, my clients it's coming. <laughs> I'll <laughs> tell them to stay tuned. It will be publicly accessible on the college's website. Fantastic. It's, it won't be for members only. That's fantastic um, that Canada's leading. And uh, when you say on the colleges, you mean the College of Ontario and Canada first, right? That's where it'll be available? Yeah, because each province and territory has its own college that regulates dietitians, as opposed to the states they regulate on a national level. Yeah, I feel like every time we talk, I learn so much. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for sharing that. So, all right, we have... If you could share a little bit when it comes to all the talks you've done, is there a top or the most common theme? I I love that you're saying you take your presentations and make adjustments based on what's trending or what people are are talking about mostly that year, but what kind of comes up the most that whether you're surprised or not about it, what are the top couple things? Oh, Libby, this is such a good question. I would say, I'm going to say like the top two and they relate to the standards of professionalism. One is intellectual property. And the second one is content credibility, specifically con- context. And what, what I framed this in as the year, as the presentation has evolved, I call it in terms of conduct and content credibility, context and care. Are you providing all the information necessary when you are, say, talking about the latest research study that came out? There is some concern included within the dietetics community regarding confirmation bias. Like when we niche down, we're paying attention to information about this particular area of practice or disease or condition, and we're trying to find evidence that supports it. And that might lead to confirmation bias because we're only paying attention to that rather than the collection of evidence. A great example, which I see time and time again, is plant-based or vegetarian or vegan diets is They'll only pay attention to that research, but they're not going to look at the collection of evidence of people eating animal protein is perfectly normal and fine, and the studies show it's part of a healthy diet. So content, credibility in terms of context and care, and then intellectual property, which you can talk about next. Yeah, thank thank you for sharing that and the example. Uh, And I wrote that down because you mentioned that earlier on in the conversation about IP and and content credibility. So yeah, let's, let's talk about the intellectual property. Love. Okay, so <laughs> a brief overview and full disclosure, I'm not an intellectual property expert. Understood. There's lawyers for these kind of yep. things. I always, when I, in these conferences, whether they're like a general session or breakout, I always have a few people that raise their hand and like, hey, I'm a private practice dietitian. I've niched down. I have, you know, I, de- I, can, I develop, I take a considerable amount of time to develop unique original content and I go good you're posting it to social media great automatically copyright protected whether you can take legal action on that I would go to a lawyer if you could trademark things go to a lawyer to get that all done but at these conferences I like to tell people about you know obviously it's a valid strategy to use visuals because they increase engagement we know when you post images it gets more viewership A brief overview of intellectual property is that it's a category of property 
how do I explain this? It includes intangible creation from yep. intellect. So in terms of like those images, graphics, posters, things like that. Once you post it, it's your cop, it's copyrighted material. Now, where a lot of the problem lies is individuals who are sharing other people's content from through non-native sharing methods. So, you know, social media has evolved tenfold over the last 10 years. In Instagram, you can now share someone's post to your story. And that's not copyright infringement because you're using a native sharing process. If you notice when you share it to the story, it has their handle, the yep. original content creator's handle, and you can click on it, which goes back yep. to their, their account on going back to reaction videos that's not a copyright infringement because it's a native sharing process so on and so forth what i'm talking about is when people go to google and look up images and they use them for their content that they might not have this creative commons commercial use license there are several different licenses within creative commons it's kind of complex yes there's fair use there's fair use licenses you know Copyright really is an umbrella term for all of these different kinds of licenses. Yep. And then there's commercial enterprise. Commercial enterprise. I mean, when you, if you ever notice, like, if you're creating a slide deck and you, you, you try to find an image through the image search within PowerPoint, there's these little codes that come underneath the image and they'll say, like, CC or IP, CC, and NC, whatever. There's all these codes and those relate to specific licenses, whether they're for commercial use non-commercial use, so on and so forth. Running a private practice requires technology. If you want to scale and deliver a standardized experience, you will need to start using software with your private practice. And I want you to have more time to focus on the parts of your practice that fuel you, like helping more people and spending less time on administration work. And that's why I recommend Practice Better to my clients inside of our Academy membership and coaching programs. Practice Better is a complete practice management software for nutrition professionals like you who want to start and scale their private practice without the burnout. Practice Better helps automate your bookings, charting, and invoicing, but it's way more than that. Creating protocols and treatment plans and tracking your client's progress is easier than ever, so your clients can be engaged in every step of their plan, and you can provide a high level of care without burning out. Practice Better also integrates with your favorite software so that your client data and recommendations sync securely and seamlessly. You can import data and results easily from lab orders, fitness trackers, and even integrate Practice Better with your email marketing and your marketing funnels. And with their programs feature, which is my personal favorite, you have everything you need to build and run an automated group program or membership so that you can earn passive income. And it's pretty streamlined in one software. If you're a registered dietitian looking to manage your practice with ease, you can get started with any Practice Better plan for free for 14 days. As an exclusive offer for our listeners here at Dietitian Boss, you can get 20% off your first four months on any paid plan when you use the promo code DietitianBoss20 at the checkout. It's time to say goodbye to a patchwork of software and hello to an organized, efficient practice. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of uh, th things for sharing that. And there's also, I don't know if you recommend this to your students, so many great free stock image sites that will allow you. But even when you're on Canva, I believe, and you have to read Canva's fine print, but if you're on a free account, you can't create something that you sell like an ebook without paying for a paid account because yeah. of some of the, the licensing on, on the images. So it's, it's really just important to read some of the fine print because of what you're talking about. And it is quite complex. This is, and this has come up a lot with my clients, especially uh, you explained it really well, but especially maybe even more a year or so back, but about people sharing other people's content and not giving permission exactly the way that they want or taking a similar idea, but then not giving someone else credit. That's come up a lot with my clients. Yeah. So on social media, when you're sharing other people's content through native sharing tools, like the share to your story on Facebook, you can share right to the page on TikTok. You can do a reaction video. Technically, you don't need permission, but I always say when in doubt, reach out and ask yep. first in reaching out and asking for permission does a lot about your character. It does. It's a great opportunity to connect and network. 
and provide some value and maybe foster some collaborations in the future. You yeah. Know what I mean? Especially if it goes back to the top of the call, you mentioned that social media was a fantastic way to, to network. And this is an example of how if you like an image or, or something someone's representing, it's an opportunity if you're feeling a little shy to say, hey, I really appreciate what you shared. Do I have permission to expand that to my audience too? It's kind of an easy way, a conversation starter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And about the free resources, man, there's so many. I Hootsuite provided or they produced a blog article recently that talked about like 38 of the best free stock photo websites of 2023 and there's 38 to choose from right so there's no excuse to be sharing or to be using licensed copyrighted non-commercial use images yeah yeah i so yes I appreciate that. Now I feel like I have to go find that article because that's quite a bit of, I only know about five stock image sites. So I didn't realize there were so many. That's exciting. What I see also, and I don't know how you would classify this, but it's, it would be taking a concept. And I know this is again, maybe getting a little too, too into the legal territory, taking a concept of what someone's done. If you're in that same space, let's say weight loss and you're comparing, let's say a food item, a particular food item showing calories or something something very specific and someone else takes that concept and recreates it and it's similar enough that the person that initially created it feels like that person stole their idea that is what comes up a lot for for me and my clients and it can come up with yeah there's a gray area and dilemma in what i think you're referring to as like inspiration yes inspiration i guess would be a good way to to sum it up yeah there it's a dilemma there's some gray area i would say you know if the if the originator's content has inspired you to create content that's of the same exact topic with the same exact information but reworded then that's copyright infringement yeah (laughs) there's again there's going back to that conversation about having conversations there's a million things that you can say and let that inspire you to come up with a very specific subtopic within that major topic that you found inspiration from rather than taking that topic as a whole and recreating and rewording some of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is a gray area. It is a dilemma. And I think that that was helpful and practical. And it's it's an opportunity for, for us dietitians to perhaps lean in and celebrate somebody's success that has inspired you and then take a moment to reflect on how we can you know create, ideate in our, in our own way that's more unique. I know it's, yeah. it can be challenging, but it is part of nutrition communication. Yeah, all there's also the problem which I found and many dietitians have brought forth and luckily they've caught it I don't know how they've caught this but and these are dietitians that have high high following 50 100 plus thousand yep Yep. they find that the copy that they've originally created for their website their about me their history the value they provide they're finding that other dietitians are finding inspiration in that. And some are literally just copying, pasting and using it on their website and just changing out their name. Even sometimes with liability related documentation, oh. contracts and things like that. And I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that because that speaks to another standards of professionalism, which is professional liability. And that first, these dietitians that have high following, I guarantee you they have a lawyer. <laughs> And they're going to take action if they find this because they're protecting their brand. And they can have your website shut down. They can have your social media accounts completely disabled and not be able to be recreated with that same handle. So, Yeah, thank, thank you for, for shedding light on that. And that's definitely frustrating. And I know for a fact that that happens in, in a lot of areas, uh, even beyond what you just mentioned with forms and copy it happens with pricing too (laughs) but that's a conversation for another day in terms of people saying well you offer that i'll offer that exactly so let's take a moment is it too off track to talk about forms because i see this a lot is that too off track from it is ethics but we can't just be using it's not necessarily social media but it's a really important topic all right look i want to hit on it lightly and this is more for selfish reasons i'm you can't now i don't know how this is done and i'm actually talked to my lawyer about this because i want to be accessible and offer forms but i have to do it in a way that's compliant you can't just sell like a credit card authorization form or you can't just steal someone else's. It has to go through legal, right? It should. Go okay. Because I see a Absolutely. lot of, I see that yeah, a lot and, and I'm wondering if that's of, okay. <laughs> like, you know, the that, you know, there's social media is a monster. There's a lot of downfall to it, but there's so much positive in it in that follow some private practice 
lawyers who specialize in helping other private practice owners and all of them will tell you you need to have your own specific contracts to protect your own brand and company and services and products for liability yeah yeah so uh we have a team lawyer and we recommend her but she she does cost a fee and i'm seeing that there are other options where people can um buy very cheap credit card authorization forms that other dietitians are selling and i don't think without like working with legal that you can do that so i know that depends on disclaimers but i was i was always wondering like how is that you know i'm glad that you brought that up and you said you know people are going to dietitian for some of these legal related terms okay when you need your car fixed who do you go to mechanic when you need your teeth clean who do you go to exactly when you need legal advice you should be going to a lawyer i i agree or at least uh, if i partner with one like i license contracts and i'm an affiliate for a lawyer but it's it's through it's her work it's her body of work i'm just uh, helping get there but yeah i hear you Yeah, sometimes there's a barrier there or a perceived barrier with like oh this cost of like consulting with a lawyer paying it's gonna imagine the potential risk long term or down the line and might sideswipe you and take everything you have Yep. And again, it it goes back to protecting your brand. And what about the dietitians that are selling forms and credit card authorization and things like that? I will keep my comments to myself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to, we're going to move, move right along. We've covered a lot. Is there any advice? Uh, I want to get to talking about LinkedIn and social media and, and your presence as well, because I love what you're doing. Before we get to, to that, do you have any general advice, pieces of advice for dietitians, whether they are, there's kind of two groups, the new people, right, that are maybe struggling with imposter syndrome, and then there's the dietitians who've got like 50,000 plus followers. Maybe they already have it under wraps because they've got legal counsel, but what would you say to either one of those two different types of dietitians when it comes to ethics and social media? most important yeah when you're approaching social media first and this doesn't even count this this doesn't even necessarily have to do with ethics but maybe it should be implemented into part of your business plan and thus your marketing strategies first have a marketing strategy so you know what you're doing and you know where you're going you know you have targets put in place and you can measure them appropriately just like we do with client success yep is maybe weave in ethical practice into that business plan oh, so you, when you refer back to it it's a nice reminder of hey i need to self-check myself when i'm developing content or when i'm engaging with the public or when i'm reacting or you know trying to address misinformations that i find there and then have that code of ethics digital handout it's like two pages online refer to it that's great i think i might add that to my content checklist that i give clients and give you credit of course for for reminding how important that is because we are representing, you know, our credentials as dietitians when we're posting. And so it's important to think about that every time and make it a habit. And I like that you said a metric similar to how we measure client success. We want to measure our ability to align with the ethics, right? Yeah. And I would say another one besides, you know, weaving in the code of ethics into our business plan and referring to it when we are carrying out marketing strategy is professional boundaries, which is another standards of professionalism, which speaks to the code of ethics. I find, you know, and obviously part of the code of ethics allows for and respects autonomy. So dietitians doing what they see fit for themselves. Sure. And in that weighing benefit and risk, in terms of professional boundaries, there is a slippery slope of what you're sharing with people, with your potential clients or your current clients on social media. I know that, you know, you promote this more than anybody I know, and it's so valuable to niche down you know, solve a particular problem and you're going to reach a lot of people because you're going to speak to them and their lived experience. In that, there's still other people that are watching you. Sure. So there's, oh, it's always important to, again, provide a lot of context that this is specific for this kind of issue, but more so the kind of information that you're sharing, whether it is for your target audience or not, what does that do for the relationship or the future relationship between you and potential clients that you're working with? Like I see all too often dietitians sharing really personal information about their day to day that doesn't, and I can read in between the lines. I've worked in marketing. I I can tell a person's marketing strategy when I look at their social media is, is some of the content serving your marketing strategy? If not, might it be impacting their perception of you and might be forming a bias and then they might run the other way just because it's too personal of information and it doesn't even have anything to do with the service that you're providing. Yeah. It's, it's such a really great thing you brought up and it, 
it's tricky, right? Because like you said, autonomy, branding, personality, uh, boundaries, right? So yeah, that's, it's an important thing to think about. Yeah. Whenever I present these things, all of these topics and ethics, I never say like, I'm not here to tell you whether it's right or wrong because you have autonomy over what you do, right? I respect what you, each and every one of you do. I just want you to weigh, most importantly, going back to the code of ethics, weigh that benefit and risk and the impact it has on public perception of dietitians and your approachability. Is there anything, I know that for a fact there is with therapists, Do you, is there any code of ethics about how we disclose personal information? For example, weight loss, trauma, eating disorder. Is there anything that's detailed yet for dietitians? or I can share what, what there is for like regarding privacy and confidentiality. I, I guess it would be in that category. I'm talking about self-disclosure. So when a dietitian shares that they have lost a certain amount of weight, is there any, does it just fall in the general? Okay. So like or, talking about the dietitian's success story and that adds value and re- rapport reputation. Right? Yeah, yeah. And not that all I've got plenty of dietitians that don't struggle with, let's say weight loss or chronic disease or, or eating disorder. And they help those, that type of population with that, that problem. But is there any parameters for that with self-disclosure? Yeah, there are some principles that speak to, let me think. No, I wouldn't say that they don't specifically speak to sharing that type of personal information. It goes more back to those guiding principles about weighing benefits and risks. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. So just deferring, and I want to cross-reference the, the one that they has been published for therapists because I know that there are some ethics for that. Healthcare practitioner, I know that kind of goes back to you saying that it, the conversation is for dietitians, but this is a topic for other allied healthcare professionals as well. But I believe there are some tighter parameters for therapists with self-disclosure. I just don't have it referenced in front of me at the moment. Yes, and it's an, I, I think that's because their main role as not only educators are counselors, right? And there's a lot of nuance in that, right? Yeah, I find that fascinating. And I love to follow what, what therapists do. And I, it's, it's always interesting, even though, yes, definitely some nuance. So not, not exactly the same as dietitians, but interesting nevertheless. And I like to nerd out and, and read a lot of research. Uh, and now I've, you've given me some more things to read. Okay, so you gave advice, I guess, unless if there's anything else that uh, is burning that you want to share. Can you talk a little bit about your use of social media, maybe either how you, I'm assuming that you know the ethics so well um, that it just feels natural, maybe intuitive when you post, but how does that play into your behavior and how do you perceive social media and, and how is it working for you? That's, wow, I, that's a great question. I don't think I've talked about this in so long because I don't see myself as like this social media, having the social media presence, primarily because I, you know, a part of my focus is academia and teaching students. So, you know, I eventually deactivated my website at some, in some degree because I just can't say no. <laughs> I wanted to stop that, stop those requests. And I'm primarily on LinkedIn to connect with other healthcare practitioners. Mm-hmm and post some articles here and there and some healthy information. But my approach to it always is to just be as objective as possible. So is this credible? You know, is it not even if it's useful because useful might not necessarily speak to ethics, but it's a value, but is it credible? Is it truthful? Is it not misleading? And I think most importantly, if I ever do like post about nutrition info, which I rarely do because mm-hmm. I speak more to professional practice. Sure. Is is this evidence based on like marketing strategy or, you know, other types of evidence that aren't nutrition research? Is it evidence versus my opinion? And disclosing that information, which for dietitians who post about nutrition information, that goes back to content credibility is are you posting evidence based information or is this your opinion? And if it is your opinion, are you disclosing that it's your opinion? Okay, that was very well summed up, and I can't help but ask about enforcement. I know you mentioned a little bit ago enforcement is a different beast. What's what's going on in that department? Uh, is yeah. there how is is that something that is? I know it's not regulated per se. So what, what's your take on it? Yeah, my take on it is we're not like the academy doesn't have little hidden police to go out and check what our content is, right? So they suggest that we address 
misinformation and inaccuracies. And I, to that, I would say, just like we're not food police, we're not like ethics police for each other, but rather we're a community of, like we're all serving the same purpose to help the public reach their health goals through sustainable, you know, have healthy relationships with food, X, Y, and Z, all of the things. And in that same breath, we're also there to help guide each other when we make mistakes because we all do. I remember when I did post nutrition information in my formative years as a dietitian, I made mistakes, man. I made some crazy mistakes and maybe it's because I was like partially incompetent. And I was so fortunate that my colleagues reached out to me, whether it was publicly or privately and said, hey, Drew, there are some flaws here with this research or this piece of information is inaccurate. And it was a wonderful self-reflective process. Like, oh, I need to learn a bit more about this. I'm gonna seek out these professional continuing education opportunities. More importantly, I'm gonna go back to that piece of information and correct it, apologize if it, because it might've potentially impacted anybody. Apologize and then move forward and do better moving on. Wow, so, that's a great, uh, great story. Regarding the whole like, the reporting process, which there is a reporting process that we can take. And I encourage people, dietitians especially to do this. If we find that the nutrition message is severe enough that it could create quite a bit of impact among the general public, reach out to that. That healthcare practitioner might not be a dietitian, it could be another one and say, hey, you know, and then your approach is gonna speak to your personal conduct, right? The way that you communicate with them is really gonna make all the difference. They might block you if you just come at them like you're, you know, fake hashtag, fake news. It's such like dogmatic superior language. You're not gonna reach anybody. But be careful in how you reach out to them. Come from a caring approach. Always assume that they didn't mean to do it, right? We're all human. Come from a humanistic perspective. And then if they don't want to resolve it and they don't see eye to eye with you, despite you and maybe several other people that see the same issue, you can report them. Now, social media, we know social media reporting there's not doesn't happen a lot. Like they don't actually it doesn't break the community guidelines. You'll get a you'll get some feedback in a couple of weeks from their management team. So you can report them to the academy. There is an official reporting tool. That's through the code of ethics portion on the website. You can file a little informal complaint through the incident reporting tool, which the academy released a couple of years ago. And then where do the where do these individuals live? There's a board that oversees their practice in that state. You can file a report there. Okay. Yeah, that was really, really helpful in terms of the, the stepwise approach. So back to you and LinkedIn, uh, I, it sounds like it's natural for you and it's something where you do ask yourself if you're being objective when you post, is there any tips that you would give somebody in terms of improving their relationship around social media if they have any of these kind of scared or uncomfortable it's true i mean social media you got to have boundaries and treat it like a tool do you have any tips for people that want to use it more for networking and be really kind of get started with having um, some type of a strategy but also being mindful of ethics do you have any tips for them how you Um, best use it uh, how you best use the tool maybe like ways that you approach it Yeah, I don't think it's relative to actually like the tools that LinkedIn provides. Most of my most of my activity on LinkedIn is in the DMs. Like I'm talking to like 50 people simultaneously throughout the week, helping them if they have questions. Just connecting with general people and you know, because I just I love to see what people are doing and what their value is. But I would say the article which I'll send you, which you can link to the podcast or on the website regarding those standards of practice, standards of professionalism. Just go through those quickly. Have that lens. Create a little sticky note next to your, you know, on uh, on the side of your screen, so that when you're creating content, okay, am I being objective? Yep. Am I providing context and care? Is this credible? Am I not stealing any images? And then maybe that helps alleviate some of that. That's great. Syndrome. Yeah, that that is that is a great checklist. And when you say 50 DMs, which is this is great networking skill, networking for you, are those people that you're finding, or how are you generating those DMs? Are you sending DMs to people? Are you finding them through like healthcare practitioners or certain threads? Yeah, it's a little half and half. I'll reach out to individuals. First, I love connecting with dietitians around the world, because I like to see what they're doing in their countries. A lot of the times people are looking for to migrate. They know I'm an international dietitian. I've migrated, so I understand the immigration process to an extent for that country. And they're looking to move because they want to have a bigger impact. And they know there's more opportunities in the Western world, generally speaking, especially in the States, there's so much opportunity. Some of it is through just me posting on a person's original post, 
that really speaks to what they're talking about, whether it's ethical or professional practice or something else I specialize in, which is effective education that targets behavior change. And that they're like, oh, this person like knows these key terms and concepts to instructional design and let's talk. And then they'll DM me and then we carry the conversation. That's fantastic. Great role modeling in terms of how to use social media as a tool and network, which is a a big question. I I don't get asked it in that exact language, but that is what people often ask me. How do you start DMs? How do you engage in the DMs? So what I'm hearing from you is finding like-minded interests, providing value, and having that value align with things that you care about. And that's, that's, Yeah, yeah. Never underestimate, like, I know a lot of dietitians spend time in the content that they post. Never underestimate that engagement portion. Because a lot of conversations can lead from what you're posting underneath somebody else's post or how you're responding to somebody in your own post. Yeah, I I think that's great advice and and a great share in terms of how you're using the tool to really maximize your networking opportunities, especially in an international way. Like that's so exciting, meeting people you wouldn't have otherwise thought of or reconnecting with them from all the talks that you regularly do. Uh, That must be so rewarding, right? To kind of keep touch with people randomly and and see what they're up to. There's like, I recently connected with somebody in Romania and they haven't had dietetics programs in years. Like it kind of almost fell off the cliff of of the earth. And now they recently had and completed the first dietetics program that's happened in 20 years. And they feel really incompetent because the program's not as strong as it should be. And they found me and we were able to connect and I was able to provide resources on like, how do you approach clinical care in a competent manner or public health? That is really, really cool. Yeah, I love connecting with dietitians across the globe and seeing where they're at, what they're doing, and ultimately the value that they provide. And maybe I can help them in some capacity. That's fantastic. If you could share what your where people can find you on social media, whether it be LinkedIn or wherever you most most often hang out, so people can connect with you. Sure, I'm on Instagram in a very informal manner, like I. Don't, not necessarily present as a dietitian. Sometimes I do, but I'd love to connect with dietitians on there at dietitian.drew. And then my LinkedIn is my name, Drew Hemler, H-E-M-L-E-R. Amazing. And is there any other final words that you want to leave with or any, any other things, uh, last things that you want to tell people to do or final thoughts? Just y'all make sure, you know, you think critically about what you're posting on social media, the impact that it could potentially have on the public because as dietitians, we're here to protect the public. So think carefully. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Drew. If you're looking for support to start, grow, and scale your dietitian private practice, I want to invite you to work with me and my team. We have a few different options. Head over to dietitianboss.com and apply to have a conversation with somebody from our sales team to discuss your options for your budget and stage of business. Head over to dietitianboss.com and we look forward to connecting.